the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC on ESPN 14 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way, let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree, people sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Connect Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find over at MMA Junkie, as well as LineMovement.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Connect Podcast. We break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight, because I'm recording this um, Thursday afternoon, uh, a little later in the afternoon than I thought, which, as I'm doing the math here and as I normally run, uh, might not come out till evening time, because by the time I wrap, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to edit this. going to be doing my Line Movement show, which you can check over at Line Movement MMA's YouTube, as well as subscribe to my YouTube over there, Daniel Tom MMA. Needless to say, I'm going to try to keep this tight as possible, at least tight for me. Uh, We're going to be recapping the show, then we're going to be breaking down UFC on ESPN 14 from top to bottom. And I'm going to sneak in right in the middle there, probably just a quick uh, Bellator main card picks and preview. Got a uh, main card breakdown there for both Bellator 242 and UFC Fight Island 3, UFC on ESPN 14. Up on MMA Junkie, of course, the UFC card will be the focus. And doubly, of course, regardless of how good to my word I will be, as per usual in these breakdown shows, you check the timestamp attached in the details, show notes, whether it's on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or the smartphone-friendly players at the host website, MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, where, by the way, you can go if you want to support this show that is free, will be free, and has been free with the Amazon or on it, click-throughs, as well as a PayPal donation there. Whatever you're listening to, you can check those show notes, skip to the start of the breakdown, or if you really don't want to suffer my voice, which I don't blame you, believe me, you can go to the very end where I recap all my picks and plays um, at the end of every breakdown episode. Ah, So, without further ado, um, let's jump into things. Hopefully, I accidentally bit my tongue the other day. It's like super sore, of course, right? And like on my podcasting day. So hopefully that'll be my safety as far as keeping things um, nice and short here. Uh, so let's let's uh, let's push on through, shall we? Yeah. So UFC and ESPN plus thirty happened over the weekend. Not going to beat any talking points. Just going to quickly go over results. And first and foremostly, admit, boy, did I get washed. You know, it's funny. Guys over at Line Movement were letting me know that I guess like one of my articles, as far as articles go, like got number one and did really well. I'm like, oh sweet, which article was it? And of course, it was the betting, the one betting sheet that wasn't a winner. And not only was it not a winner, I got washed. Went six and six for picks overall, which is usually a really bad sign, <laughs> especially for me and my percentages. Um, and yeah, man, I got washed. No excuses here. Not hiding from the results. You know me. I always, uh, I always face the music, I, I, and that's another reason why. Uh, like the fighters, I don't get too high and go, don't get too low. Um, I will admit, I did do some victory lapping for the Armand Saryukian, which we'll get to in a second. 
But uh, I didn't go as hard in the victory lapping as people were doing for Davis and Figueredo, who I love Figueredo. And uh, he defeated Joseph Benavidez uh, by submission, rear naked choke. Again, um, you know, kind of like yeah, I was telling my uh, co-host, Dan Levy, uh, shout out to him, and again, again, our show there, the uh, Line Movement MMA Betting Show. Um, you know, he was asking me, you know, if, 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 if you're picking a dog at plus 170, why don't you bet him? And well, folks, that's why. <laughs> that's why I don't. That's why I wasn't confident, and that's why, again, you shouldn't be confident in anything that I admit bias on, which I did for that pick, and that is exactly why I didn't bet it, because um, even though I go on that spiel, you know, which I try not to be, I'm a and I'm not going to go here, folks. I'm not trying to be that guy, nor do I consider myself that guy. And I'm never going to tell anyone um, how to feel or how to cheer or how to enjoy this fine product and sport, if you want to call it that. That is MMA. But, yeah, I mean, God forbid we, you know, stick up for the underdogs a little bit, you know, or, you know, try to have some understanding to a human being, much less a fighter who has a lot of the stat, the chip stack against him, or God forbid, we're a little sympathetic to things like head trauma, or you know, not hang people um, who maybe aren't as sympathetic, but they are in the head trauma business, so they kind of have the right to be. You know, uh, you kind of have to be ignorant. Like I saw people really getting upset, and people I I, I respect too, and I forget. Like I saw. I, don't, I won't call it the person that said the negative thing because it's not my thing, and I, I respect them too. But I do want to give a shout-out to my dude Andrew Pearson there on Twitter. And he, I just kind of eavesdropped on an exchange he was having someone else I follow. And you know, the person was clearly not a Benavidez fan, which is totally cool. But it was just like when press, the reason for this person, and many people say, oh, well, he said something in the interview. And everyone keeps pointing to that one interview when we have like this whole sample size to point to for the guy's fighting career as a fighter or as a person, either way in which metric, not exactly being judged fair. Um, that being said, that is the reward in this sport, man. Even the good guys, the good guys get it the worst. You stick around long enough, you're going to get posterized. And Devis and Figueredo did like everything but like gut uh, Joseph Benavidez and what was the Otter Pops human sacrifice hour. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so... I agree with the point of even though I don't feel there's anything wrong with the message that I said prior or now, um, I do agree that we run dangerously close. And I'm, very, by the way, just if not very guilty of this, so not calling anybody out without calling myself out as per usual. But we do run dangerous of talking too much about the sad Joe V story, which should be sympathy, sympathetic toward, uh, and not enough praise to Devis and Figueredo. Now, there were a lot of people giving praise to Devis and Figueredo, almost like overly so, because, you know, you guys know how it is, man. Athletic, finisher, whether it's like from a betting perspective or as a fan perspective, like people love seeing their young athletic dudes kill the old, old you know, the old good guy. And, you know, me being contrarian, me being a a fan of the good guys um you know me being a fan of the veterans i'm always on the unfortunate other side the sad side of the equation um so you got to be careful and not you you definitely want to give credit where it's due but man I, I feel like like from people in the comment sections to even like fellow media members like people were really showing i just i guess i was just really surprised that the hate benavides was getting like whether people were like giving shit to megan olivi or giving shit to joe because you know 
maybe they have a personal beef with Olivi, um, which is kind of super unprofessional. And they're both really, really nice people, for whatever that's worth. But yeah, let's just say people were showing their colors. And ironically enough, it was like MMA betters and that betting community were the most respectful. Like, even the ones that were like all high on Figueredo and cash, like they were like, oh, it sucks for Joe B, but I cashed my bet. Like, you know, the sensible fucking response. So it was kind of ironic. As much people like to give a shit to MMA betting Twitter, like they were the most like reasonable and like <laughs> level-headed people about it. But such is life. That's all I got to say on it. We're going to move on. Um. Oh, boy, did I bomb on this one. Speaking of ass kickings. Uh, I took a shot on Kelvin Gastelum. I picked him, and you know, the, the, the matchup, aside from the first round heel hook, broke down how everybody pretty much saw it, you know, as far as the two outcomes, regardless of which side you were on. I was on the wrong side, and I doubled down on being wrong by playing it. But uh, I just, you know, I didn't agree with the line movement, and prior to that, was having some success recently in fading the public line movement. So that's kind of was my perspective there. Tough loss for Kelvin Gastelum. A lot of, you know, again, just hindsight, you know, we all love to pump our chest in hindsight, which is why, if you guys notice, I really try not to pump my chest or do too many victory laps for that reason. Um, but no, there is a lot of truth in what a lot of people are saying about Gastelum. You know, has he beat anybody in this prime? These things are very scary. And as far as Jack Hermanson, he kind of... Uh, Continues that canary in the coal mine, which we'll briefly touch on as we break down UFC and ESPN 14. On fighters who admitted bravely, I might add, I, again, people are, it's very unfair, a lot of bottom feeding out there in the socials worlds, but people are very unfair and, and, and criticize anyone for coming out and admitting any vulnerability, much less mental or psychological. Um, so that's why I always make sure to attach the descriptor as, as bravely, because it's deserving. And again, to counterbalance the massive stupidity, um, you know, and ignorance, I should say, at least, at the very least, out there. Um, but those, but again, at the same time, you know, uh, you got to be, you know, honest. And if I'm, you know, trying to be honest and non-biased and whatnot, I'm breaking these fights down. And yeah, man, it does play a factor. These, these fighters will admit that the performance anxieties have bothered them. But whether it's Rose or Jack Hermanson, they're going out there, they're facing adversity. And they're coming out with the win on the other side, say what you will. So, really interesting. There's And I, I say that because there's two other fighters. See if they can carry the trend of getting W's who have both publicly admitted their struggles with adversity mentally and have definitely been uh, you know heaped on by the public uh, for it, unfortunately. So, we'll see how that goes. Um, another straight play that I ate shit on, and, and, and a lot of people did, unless you were a uh, shout-out to the fight site guys, who uh, are some of the first stands of Rafael Fiziev, defeated Mark Diakasey via unanimous decision. Um, I was fucking wrong, and no doubts about it. That being said, um, it wasn't that I was surprised that Fiziev was a good striker. I like Tiger Muay Thai. I like his style. Um, I was even one of the few people, folks, and I'll touch on the uh, bios again this week, um, You know, reminding that, hey, he, this guy's done Sambo as well. Um, that being said, we just we haven't seen it. You know, there's a couple clips of training, but that's about it. We really haven't seen it in a fight. Um, and Alex White wasn't a great test, and really Mark Diakesi isn't either. However, Mark Diakesi, despite not being a noted grappler or wrestler, um, has always been an athlete, strong and hit body lock takedowns, and is polished, unpolished, 
um, newer to slightly more uh, accustomed, uh, not veteran status quite yet, but you know what I mean, uh, tenured UFC fighter, it, that was something that we consistently saw and we didn't really get to see too much of it. Uh, granted, it was shut down by a lot of the straight line body work and footwork of Fiziev. Um, uh, but yeah, fantastic. And again, you know, on the feet, um, DKC, you know, he was going to have spinning options, which he actually did hit Fiziev with. It was just late in the fight. Fiziev was able to eat it. And hard counters, which he found in the third round and started fighting his rhythm, was even able to take a, um, a couple judges' cards in that third round. Um, not that it mattered, but, you know. So, again, it wasn't crazy. Uh, but that being said, how can you not be impressed with Fiziev? Although, he, even though most people are standing him, you know, Dan's going to be ultra-contrarian, although maybe not because Rogan also stand this guy. So, uh, how much? You know who I'm going to be standing here in a second. Ariane Lipsky defeated Luana Carolina. Not much to say about that. The knee bar. Um, Asker Askarov defeated Alexander Pantoja, crushing the second leg, which the first leg hit, but the second leg of the parlay. Should have went and just gave a parlay piece. Um, and uh, But, yeah, that this was another hard one to see. I mean, I should have listened to my own advice because... Uh, Again, he was, who was he hanging out with, folks? Muzzy Sally, Muslim Salikov. And that is a trend we're definitely seeing in Abu Dhabi in these Fight Island cards, right? These OVs, uh, you know, especially when they have the Ahmad and Money Day, you know, they tend to get the action from the judges. Uh, you know, um, you know, we're seeing that. And Asker Askarov already showed that in prior fights. He's got the, you don't want to go to the judges with this guy. Um, that being said, even though this wasn't an atrocious decision like the Brandon Moreno, this actually was a very defensible decision, I still disagree, and most people that I respect disagree, and most people that I respect, whether you respect them or agree with them, or me, we were all judging based on the criteria of damage and submission catches, and you know, we saw it earlier in the night that I wasn't sure if it was going to be rewarded, and it was, and then of course... Um, speaking of consistency and, you know, showing that maybe it's not all jokey, jokey, that, uh, judges thing that I said, um, completely, complete opposite way. We're going back to fucking mid late aughts judging. Oh, takedown wins the whole round. Doesn't matter what the fuck you did with it. Nothing strikes or submission wise. Um, when it was Pantoja actually catching multiple submission catches, but at the same time, I don't know what it was, if it was a bad camp or what, but Pantoja, it's not that he's like, he, we've seen him like overwork himself before in fights, but he can usually recover, and that's usually not the reason why he's losing the fights. He sets a high pace, and people picked him to win, and he was favored to win because of his high pace. That's not abnormal. What's abnormal is him gassing out so fast. He was already gassing out in like the beginning of the second and lost control of the fight by the end of it. Um, so, yeah, by those... So by that by that viewpoint, not crazy, not not a robbery, you know, nothing like that, folks. Not not saying that. Don't don't get it twisted. Um, that being said, gassed and with the judges in his pocket, Asker Askarov barely skinned by in the scent of his uh, skin of his teeth. Now you should never bet emotionally, and I like Asker Askarov. Um, he's my mom's like favorite fighter because my mom found out that he's like part deaf, right? And my mom. She's not deaf, but I have a lot of deaf people in my family I grew up with, and my mom fluently signs. Um, so it's like there's no hate at all. And uh, but that being said, you know, you shouldn't bet with emotion. But that being said, I'm going to pick my spot. Like, for example, if they match up uh, Askarov with Alex Perez, like I think, you can bet your ass Dan Tom's going to have action no matter what. 
the line is. Um, that being said, you got to be careful not to bet emotional. But let's just say, let's just say I got some money to make back on Asker Askarov, and I'm going to make it a point to pick my spot to do so. So we'll see going forward. Roman Dolodis gets it done in the first round. Oh my gosh! Again, I'm talking about like not like you know being you know not telling you it's not okay. You know, I, I laugh at the memes and the Brendan Schaub memes and all that shit too. I'm not, not saying it's not okay, but after I'm talking about you know after I you know maybe take a little bit of swing for sensitivity. Um, fucking Katus Ibragimov, as Zane Simon would say, um, the pasture boy, or <laughs> just one of the funniest fighters to, uh, as I mentioned on the last podcast, to fellow analyst Connor Rebush with his, uh, <laughs> uh to Ed Herman. <clears throat> he just fuels memes, like, not even just the slumped over after he got KO'd by Doldis, but even when they were announcing his name, like, he gives the most awkward, like... Like trying to be mean, grunt to the camera. It's just, oh man, Team Spectrum, baby. Team, <laughs> Team Spectrum. Oh, Jesus. All right, let's just slow leave it at that. Uh, Grant Dawson defeated Nandar Armani. Grant Dawson putting it together. And, uh, you know, um, Nandar Armani, you know, getting a tough run of things. Speaking of tough run of things, man, poor Joseph Duffy. I stayed away for a reason, even though I picked him. And uh, Joel Alvarez gets the gets the guillotine. You know, tough to see. Wishing Joe Duffy the best. Such a good guy. I'm glad I sprinkle on this, but I can't take credit for it or pump my chest because it wasn't the most confident pick in the world, and it wasn't an official play, so I'm not going to victory lap or pump my chest. But Brett Johns came through um, against Montel Jackson, who I did sprinkle on, you know, Brett Johns. Uh, but more importantly, you know, this was kind of why I was skeptical, you know. Um... You got to be careful, you know, like uh, I think I was telling, you know, uh, um, my co-host Dan uh, on the line movement show, I believe, where, you know, it's like to, I don't disagree with Montel at all being favored. Like I'm I'm not saying that was crazy, but like, you know, perhaps it was the Al-Hassan thing. It's just one of my biases. I love pace guys. And if you're going to be an athlete and be low output and low option, you really got to be good when you do pull the trigger like a Davis and Figueredo. And there's a big difference between a Figueredo and a Montel Jackson. And I'm not ready to pour dirt on Montel Jackson. I just don't think he's going to be ever be anything at bantamweight. Um, his, his output's way too low. He just doesn't do enough for the things he can do, from wrestling submissions to striking. He has no excuse to not be exploring more in at least two of the three, if not all three, and you're hard-pressed to get him to, to focus and be consistent in one area. That's just not good, and we saw the bad decision-making pop up from diving into guillotines and stuff like that, and it, you know the, the bad fight IQ. It's something that I have been a little too lax on, and it's really bitten me in the butt, so I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to that more. It could be a little bit of that, but just part of me thinks unless Montel Jackson can unlock his skills that we all think he has at 145, I either think he's a complete bust or he's just not meant for 135 and is doing himself a disservice. So I hope he goes up to 145 and we see the Montel Jackson we're all hoping to see. And good on Brad Johns, man. I love that guy. Amir Albazi defeated Malcolm Gordon uh, via submission. Wow, what a bad pick. Again, uh, you didn't have to. I told you there's bias, and regardless of bias or research uh, or the lack thereof, this was not a fight that you wanted to be too confident either way. So hopefully, y'all didn't go hard on Gordon. 
Uh, I'll be honest, I did sprinkle. Uh, ended up sprinkling like I said I was good in the show. But Armin Saryukin came through, defeated Davi Hamash for unanimous decision. You know, uh, he exceeded my expectations as far as the striking. But other than that, it pretty much went as I thought it was going to go and as how, as how I broke down. And again, folks, you can't always go down, off, you know, go off of who someone's facing. It Like I said before in the show, about this matchup specifically just last week, when Saryukin, you know, you watch what he does and the decisions that he makes, it's super high level, man. This guy's going to be a fucking problem. And the fact that he was showing like things like throwing away the right hand, throwing a left hook, being able to fight at pace, being able to fight smart, um, and just his wrestling choices. Like part of the reason, the reason why I thought he would be safe from the guillotine, that I said last week, aside from guillotines not being as big on Hamosh's record as you might suspect with those beefy arms and his aggressive grappling submission style, um, Saryukian's head placement on his singles, you can tell where he places his head. Even when he chains and looks to steer, he's he's very cognizant um, of, of, of guillotine grasps, and I really like to see that. And with his kind of freestyle wrestling um, translation and variation style, in my opinion, and again, like, I would refer to, like, the Ed Gallows of the world who... Uh, hopefully Ed will do something on Armin, um, but like uh, for you know qualifying statements on stuff like this. But in my opinion, with Saryukin's wrestling style, as long as he protects his neck and legs, he should be good. And again, with the signals, singles, and again, not just going three rounds with Davi Hamosh, um, his third dangerous grappler in a, in a row, UFC level dangerous grappler, I should say in a row. But he even got his legs tested with, like, I believe a De La Hiva variation, if memory serves. Um, and he acted accordingly on that and showed the proper urgency that uh, our boy Gaslam, uh, Gaslam did not. So Saryukian, the guy who I posted on the horse earlier, that, you know, that's your boy's dark horse. That's who I'm tying my boats to and I'm, uh, I'm high on. And um, I don't like the victory lap, so apologies if I did that on Twitter a bit with that guy. I just, I really love this guy's style. And... Uh, you know, spotting these guys early on like that, uh, always, you know. Before Metallica, man, before they went in Justice for All got too cool, man. Sergey Spivak, uh, you know, uh, Juan writes to the ice fishing hole. He defeats Carlos Philippe, uh, who apparently, uh, according to the guys, the MMA analysis, the guy's training in his living room, not his garage, which I guess is an important clarification in this pandemic era. He wins by majority decision. Um, so good on you, Spaghetti Spivak. All right, that wraps up the 22 minutes. Not too bad. Let's speed things up, though. That wraps up is, uh, the recap for um, UFC on ESPN Plus 30. Now, UFC on ESPN 14, headlined by Darren Till versus Robert Whitaker. As I pull up odds for that, we're going to go from top to bottom as per usual. And I'll let you guys know. 15-fight card. Craziness. Crazy. Oh, I forgot to go over some Bellator, didn't I? We'll go over... Uh, I'll, I'll squeeze the Bellator in really quick, firstly. Fashley and Farm Ashley. That'll be really quick. Go to the in-depth. It was fun breaking down Ricky Bandet House. Um, it was a Nick Catone, New Jersey guy. Moved down to American Top Team last couple camps. Adding calf kicks and leg kicks to his already potent cross hooks. Would like to see him use his jab more as a long... Bantamweight comes from a wrestling base, but we'd like to see him build on that more. He usually uses it defensively in a scramble, which will 
serve him well, and he probably doesn't want to get into ground entanglements, being that Sergio Pettis is now a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and has quietly improved his wrestling as well. Um, but Pettis, for that reason, probably minus 160 favorite. Bandeja has plus 140. Um, I don't see him submitting Pettis. I don't see him outpointing him. Pettis, great point fighter, and uh, reminding you that he can still get it done inside the distance, which is a rarity for him. But, you know, he does have those skills. Um, you know, he does uh, He does have some decent power despite being a small bantamweight. Showed that um, even before getting the submission. Uh, his pull counters and head kicks, I think, should have play stylistically. Uh, he's got to be careful about walking in one of those shifting the southpaw right hook counters that Bandejas does similar to Jacare Souza. Go to the Junkie Breakdown for more details, but I think it's KO or bust for Bandejas, which means Pettis by decision for me. But I respect Bandejas enough to where I'm probably not going to even touch that. Um, Jordan Mean plus 130, Jason Jackson minus 150. I think that's about right. Jason Jackson's on the come up. Um, I like him. The fact that he's able to beat Kakuno on like six days' notice, he already fights and travels overseas in weird circumstances. He seems like a guy who stays ready. He's got those attitude intangibles I talk about. And this is a guy that I interviewed and watched him fight in person. So that's what I got from him. So I think he's going to get it done here. I like Jordan Mean. He's got one of my favorite left hooks to the body in the business, but you can't really depend on him. Taiwan Clocks, you know, I'm a big fan of him. Shared coach there, Neil Melanson. He's got the wrestling background, powerful. As long as he can, uh, you know, I don't know what his training situation, I know he gave in and decided not to coach himself, which is a good move, obviously. Maybe he had to go back to that during the pandemic. Either way, he should be able to get by J.J. Wilson. So we've got Taiwan Claxton there. And Eric Pico, Big Juice, minus 750. Solo Hatley Jr., plus 525. Only thing I saw in Solo Hatley Jr. was what uh, my dude shouts, go give him a follow, at Lord uh, Honky Humongous, I think. There's an underscore there. At Mr. Honky. Under, at Mr. Underscore Honky. There we go. Uh, yeah, and then some interesting names on the card. So there's the Pelator breakdown. All right. Uh, UFC and ESPN 14. Um, sorry, one second. Boom, boom. Yeah. Uh, we got Robert Whitaker minus 130. Darren Till plus 110. I believe this got as close as about even money at one point, And then they... Maybe people came to their senses and separated back. Not that Darren Till can't win this fight, but um, you could argue that the line should be a little wider in Robert Whitaker's favor. You look at uh, strength of competition, um, even stylistically, Robert Whitaker 3-0 against UFC-level southpaws. But it's left hands on both sides that's going to be worth watching for, like I uh, say in the breakdown, you know, it's going to be that counter cross. Is Robert Whitaker's kryptonite, in fact, high-level strikers? Uh, minus that Court McGee fight, regardless of how you score it. Um, or does that left hand really have play? Uh, can he replicate what George Masvidal did? It's a very unique drop-shifting combo, but Robert Whitaker comes closest to it. Um, so close that when I actually, if you go read my previous breakdown on Whitaker, my last write-up, I actually reference. Jorge Masvidal's fight for Darren versus Darren Till because Whitaker and Masvidal do a similar thing where they use the rear front kick and shift out of position off of it into that southpaw stance to launch overhands as well as left hooks. And then even looking closer in that fight, left hands is, as you know, it's it's the kill shot for the southpaws. I always, uh, 
I always like shout out my, my dude Connor and his article he wrote over at Bloody Elbow. But me and him also, ha- we, we also talk, uh, talk, talked about that idea. And he let me know that I'm not crazy when he was on here for the top five hook KOs back in the Dizzy. Got to get Connor back on here as well as Phil. Got to reach out to, the t- to those guys. Enjoy them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's 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 like kind of like the kill shot, right? Because as a southpaw, I can tell you, it's our false sense of security. We think we own that angle so hard that when someone can actually slip a, slip a fastball or a curveball around that side of the guard, boy, does it hit emphatically. See Rockhold Bisping, too. See Sam Stout, Eve Edwards, etc. The left hook on the southpaw is a brutal one. Um, you know, Scott Smith, Kung Lee, throw away right hand, left hook. Um, it, it, it's a beautiful one that pops up all the time. And when you look at that Darren Till, George Mosvidal fight, like George Mosvidal was actually hitting him with a left hook multiple times before that drop shifting one. In fact, they were pretty standard left hooks coming forward and off the counter, both from orthodox stance, which Robert Whitaker primarily fights out of. And his best shot from the orthodox stance, of course, is yes, the left hook. He's got a very unique. Uh, and long one, although it came up short against a longer, more emphatic hook in Israel Adesanya's. But looking at that finish, not just offensively, but even looking at the, the flip side of the coin, what what hurts Whitaker? Well, what hurts Whitaker are seemingly check hooks. And check hooks is something that most southpaws shouldn't and don't leave home without. In fact, we've seen, and not dissing on Luke Rockhold after the fact, but... I've always said, even in his prime, he's a very limited stand-up. He, like, literally, this check right hook was his crutch, Luke Rockhold. But God damn it, does that show you how important that punch is as far as dictating and disrupting. Um, and, and the odd angle that, it, that and frustrating angle it presents as a southpaw against orthodox. Darren Till barely throws his right hand. Now, he says he suffered through a lot of injuries through mid-stretches of his career. But even in recent fights where he's claimed to have more of an arsenal, which he has, and we'll get to his knees and elbows in a second, the right hand really hasn't been too much of a part of that. It's been a pawing jab, you know? It's been... He rarely puts muster on it. And his counter-cross is still going to be potent, but it's a counter-cross, and the, he doesn't really hook it. He will sometimes, but he I would argue he mixes more of the uppercut in with the cross. And then the tie kick for the southpaw double attack, which, again, that's going to be a two-way street because not just the orthodox southpaw open stance of the mayor stance matchup, but Robert Whitaker, of course, can throw really good double attacks too, which was something that I thought could be potent when you looked at Israel Adesanya's fight against Rico Verlinden, I want to say who was one of the guys that beat him in kickboxing. He hit that kind of over and over again. Neither here nor there, Adesanya. We saw the outcome of that one, right? Uh, but but I'm just saying, uh, Whitaker's got that double attack as well. So, uh, you know, and then you, you you factor in, even though I'm one of the ones that have been saying for a long time, Darren Till's underrated wrestling, counter-wrestling, the Lucha Livre um, background, I, I think they're going to nullify each other. But yeah, uh, Robert Whitaker's got the ground edge. I think he's the better wrestler. And he's the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. So should it go there, he should have the edge. Um, for those reasons, I should probably play Whitaker. And I was thinking about it, man. If it was going to go to plus money or even, holy crap, um, I'll probably have to auto-play it. And I could justify a play at 130. I haven't yet. I'm not saying I will. You do got to wonder where Whitaker's head's at. Um, however, 
for me, unless it's a chin issue, I think we're pu- we're potentially putting too much into this. The guy's 28 years old, and I know the mile his mileage doesn't match up to age, and I know and agree that mileage is much more important than age and other on paper numbers in MMA. That being said, unless that translates into his chin being gone or the bottom dropping out in that way. I think he's okay because kind of like I portended to, and this is one of the fighters why, and I'll touch on it here, fighters with these admitted, you know, mental struggles that, you know, whether it's uh, the bottom feeders on Twitter or, and I don't blame you gamblers, you know, you got to look for your angles. I'm not hating on you, but God do you gamblers. You love fucking old people facing athletes. Like, you guys get so stiff over there. Like, oh, I don't care how much money and juice I gotta lay. I'm gonna fade them. Like that is one thing they make gamblers love. And then they also love people who admit any type of like, yeah, I've had mental struggles. Weak motherfucker, fade, auto fade. Like that feels like the two angles. Like <laughs> I'm not hating y'all. I'm a fucking degenerate too. I, I swim in the same pools as you guys. I'm no better. Don't take it like that. I'm just busting balls here, folks. And be honest, and you know there's a little bit of truth to it as well. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we love jumping on those angles as betters. But, like, again, folks, if, okay, fine. Let's look at angles. Let's look at trends as betters. And I don't know how much leg and stock you want to put into it. I'm certainly not telling you to put a lot, much less run to the bank with it. But, yes, male to female, turbulence or not turbulence, we're seeing the fighters that admit um, to mental falters. Having 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 good performances and getting the wins. So, less media, less crowds. Um, both of which Robert Whitaker d- d- does not like. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think we get a get great performance from him. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if 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 Nick Diaz anywhere close to his prime were fighting, like I'd be like, fuck yeah, dude. This guy is like gonna have to be dealing with so much less social anxiety. Uh, he's quarantined in a bubble, and then he's going to go out there in a quiet arena like it's a sparring session and just talk shit to his opponent. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, these are, you know, obviously Robert Whitaker, not a Diaz brother, <laughs> complete opposite. But I'm just saying, like, if we're going to look for angles, you know what I'm saying? It's not it's not one you need to bet on, but it, I do think it's one you need to respect, and at least, the very least, worth mentioning here. So I'll actually, I'll take Robert Whitaker and... I wouldn't be surprised if I play him, especially if the line either goes lower or I'm doing well in the evening. Not telling you where to put your money. Check for my uh, betting sheet this week at linemovement.com. Hopefully I won't get washed like last week. I was due for a losing. I'm surprised I didn't lose on all three cards, man. I mean, I'll tell you. Um, so let's let's see if we can bounce back there. Ah, speaking of bounce back, Antonio Ajerio Nadegara is going to try to bounce back from an 0-2 Scoreboard deficit to Shogun, Mauricio Shogun, who a minus 185 favorite Shogun is. And uh, Little Nog, plus 160. Yeah, um, I want, you know, I went back to watch both fights for fun and, uh, you know, subsequent since. By the way, who uh, four and three against UFC level Southpaws, or as my Al Pacino would say, who, um, you know, I think he's going to go five and three here. Um, both matches kind of went the same. It's crazy. Like, they go over such a crazy time span, but all the matches went, like, exactly the same. You've got Nogueira hurting Shogun early and Shogun having to wrestle and come back with strikes late. Um, so I could see the same thing happening here. However, the difference is Shogun's been 
has lost his athleticism since his knee surgeries. Like, Shogun hasn't been fighting with athleticism for a decade. Shogun has been getting rocked in pretty much every fight and having to come back, win or lose, for almost a decade. Whereas Nogueira, he's not synonymous for taking the beatings as his big brother. Um, and, in fact, his mileage, not just his style, supports that slash saves him from said mileage we're talking about. However, doesn't look like that. And I'm not even talking about the Anthony Johnson fight, but, like, from then on, I mean, the dude just from his gait, his movement, I mean, it looks like, you know, a bunch of termites got let in and just, like, you know, now he just crumbles when you touch him. Um timing, the things that his, his game relies upon. I don't think his hips and, are going to be the same to defend the takedowns. Um, so even though I could see a decision again, I actually think Mauricio Hua gets the knockout um, at the end of the first round after a firefight. But I'm not willing to bet on it. I feel like this is dog or pass territory because my heart's going to be a little nog. You all know I'm a, I'm a Southpaw little nog fan. Next fight, this is a fucking dumpster fire of an in, of both interest as I want to bet but also like it feels like a big stay away as well Alexander Gustafson now minus 345 for BC over Doom plus 285 so my pick here is Gustafson that was my official pick staff picks for Junkie so I want to stay consistent with that um, but this is definitely dog or pass. I don't blame anybody for taking a shot. I'm probably going to be doing a degenerate sprinkle, but I got scared away from both picking and playing Verdum, and that should be somewhat meaningful coming from me. No, not because I'm an authority. No, not because I'm smart. I don't definitely don't claim to be either. I'm not, but y'all know I'm a big Verdum fan, and I've made some of my biggest caches on Verdum spots. Um... He's crashed a lot of hype trains from 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 Travis Brown and even Cain Velasquez, and I was on both of those, baby. But he's been a very big inconsistent letdown. Since he submitted Cain Velasquez for the title, he's only scored one submission against a last-minute Walt Harris who took the fight the day of. And no offense to Walt Harris, not now, nor especially then, has ever been a ground fighter. Um, and aside from that, Verdum has won, lost, been so inconsistent has hit so many takedowns, has had so many what would be game-over positions for him in the past in what is a game-over submission fighter who me and many have been hailing for years, and he's made us look good when he submitted Nog and Kane and these other guys. He proved us right who were saying, no, dude, Verdum, Verboom, baby. Back one of those days where he was, you know, in shape enough where he was, you know, the UFC 80 rapid-fire days, right? When Verboom was wearing the, the tight shorts and the accentuated cup. Dan, why are you focusing on that? The point is, this is a different Verdum. He's, he's less, he's less, he's less big cock guy. Uh, he's less confident. He's less uh, enhanced, maybe. <laughs> He's, he's more for doom, right? You know, he's making all these questionable decisions and questionable decisions that have cost him. And that's honestly what scares me away here. But at the same time, Alexander Gustafson, we've seen him winning fights, losing fights, or staying competitive in fights, absolutely combust. Once... Not so much a fight hits the floor, but once it's secured on the floor. And that's very troubling, too. So what if Verdum gets the back mount and all these things, you know? It's going to be game over if, if Gustafson quits. But Verdum's gotten the back mount and game over positions against other guys. And I know Olenek 
deserves some respect on his name, and you know, you want to, or you want to talk about enhancements, huh? Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, no, uh, but, but but for other guys, like aside from Olenek, like he probably should have finished, and he didn't. So it, it scares me away. I, I'm still gonna stick with Gustafsson for a pick. Ain't no way in hell I'm playing that chalk. It's definitely Dogger Pass. Y'all know I'm rooting for Verdum here, uh, or Verdum betters at the very least for that number. Um, I don't know if I can. God, these guys I root for, and then it's like, oh, he's a big carrot off guy. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> we'll talk about someone else who you think I might root for and, and, and may not in this next matchup, but I'm going to go with Gustafson. Uh, next fight, um, Marina Rodriguez, minus 175. Carlos Sparza, plus 155. Again, you want to talk about these spots where, like, uh, uh, you know, gambling MMA Twitter get, get get hard on. Like, this is one where I'm like, oh, they're all going to be on Marina. They all love Marina. And I, I like Marina, too. That's the funny thing. I just picked her. Uh, I just picked Cynthia Calvillo against her for the reason we saw in round three. Um, and that wasn't really a crazy pick. I've, you know, that wasn't a crazy scorecard. That wasn't a crazy pick. And performances since, at least for Calvillo, obviously, um, kind of proves that, right? That being said, it doesn't mean I hate Marina Rodriguez. I'm a fan of Marina Rodriguez. And I, I know I just joked about liking unpopular fighters like Verdum or Cormier. And then, of course, just like Cormier, after I, I, I uh, will you know be a real kind of hipster, I'll be like dual super layered hipster where I'll be like contrarian to the contrarian and pissing people off by liking DC. But then DC will say a bunch of stuff like that I disagree with about fighter pay. Like... <laughs> I don't want to be one of those people that reads the headline, so I don't know the context. I'm not going to bury Carla for this because uh, I don't know the context, but I saw her going a similar route to the DC route, and I'm like, go figure. It would. But those of you who figured I'd be picking Carla in the spot, Dan likes the veterans. Oh, Dan likes Carla. Oh, Dan likes to fade, uh, be contrarian and fade the spot, you know, where everybody's a oh, athlete. Oh, fuck all people. And Dan likes to, you know, y'all must have forgot. Respect, respect. Contrarian, contrarian. No, I'm actually all about Marina Rodriguez in this spot, guys. Um, I don't blame anybody for playing her. I, I may if the line goes down. I have a feeling a bunch of people are going to be uh, doing their big plays on her. The uh, uh, the professional betters, I'll just say. Um, which is not me, clearly. Um, and I don't blame them, man. I don't blame them if they are. Like, this, this is totally, again, this is totally like the MMA gambling Twitter spot where they're like, Oh my God! Striker, athlete, youth. Oh, they start like you know losing it in their pants before they can make it to the betting window. Like, <laughs> and usually Dan Tom, well, you know, like you saw me in the Cynthia Calvillo fight. I'll be on the other side of that. But Carlos Barza doesn't counter kicks like a hard, hardwired hair trigger that Calvillo has shown since before she got into the UFC, which is, again is why I picked her. Carlos Barza doesn't do that. Um, Carlos Barza like Calvillo stays on the outside, which is also bad. Except, unlike Calvillo, when Carlos Barza does finally start pressuring it on, like she was forced to in the Michelle Waterston fight, because she could have been, and very well maybe should have been, down, right? On the scorecards, depending on how you want to argue it or look at it. Um, what happened? Even when she did pressure and was successful, what, what did Carla do? Did she go for takedowns? No. She backed up. I don't like that. You can't do that against Marina Rodriguez, who's only going to get better. Sure, she's only a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but she's also got some accolades on my sheet here. As far as tournament accolades go, it shows she's competing. More importantly, the in-cage action. When I went back, I don't disagree with it being a 10-8, but if you look closer, 
she actually got up after taking that beating and gets right back on the clock and doesn't miss a beat, which is huge in that Calvillo fight Rodriguez did. But also the way she gets up, you know. She um, keeps a lot of space, you know, um, from the front headlock position when she tripods up, um, kind of like a Big Nog does, you know, um, you know, except he doesn't, like, she doesn't dip, it, she doesn't sit into a deep half. She'll turtle a tripod up to stand, as she should. She's a striker. But she keeps that space between her head and her neck to alleviate um, any head and arm threats and keep an open pathway to breathe. Little things. People are going to compare it to Yen Jacek because she's got the weird skinny chick, horny dude MMA vibe and she kickboxes and whatever, right? Um, whatever you want to say. Uh, foreign, whatever. Like, But no, here's why you should compare her to Yen Jacek. For the same reason why you should credit Yen Jacek, which no one ever fucking brings up. It's the single leg getup, goddammit. Everyone's focused on their striking, but they're not realizing that these strikers of all people, that these ladies of all people, are doing some of the most underrated wrestling MMA fucking smart-centric get-ups that should be doing something I always preach, which is single legs. Get in on a single. Re-wrestle. Get back into the fight. Don't go flat. If you want to get up, use a single. Don't use an underhook get-up and get countered by a Darce or a guillotine. Use a single to re-wrestle back into the fight. You get top position. Or, like Jan Jacek or Rodriguez shows the dude against Cynthia Calvillo, you swim in for that single and you use it to stand. My God, is it a smart move. My God, is it not utilized enough. And Marina Rodriguez gets massive points for using it. Does that mean she's going to win here? No. If she loses, I'd be happy for Carla. But... I can't pick Carla here. I, I, I like Marina Rodriguez in this spot. Good luck to you if you better, you savages. Um, Paul Craig, who did open as the dog. Money came in on him. He is now the favorite. Minus 135 with a comeback on Gadzimera. Anti Gulaf plus 115. Um, apparently, everybody is, in fact, um, anti Gulaf. And they are not pro Gulaf by the way they are betting. Um, I as well am anti-Gulov here because I am picking Paul Craig. And although minus 135, I probably will play him as, as a kind of a hedge in case it goes to decision. I don't really see it. Um, I'm going to be on the submission prop. I got it for plus 170. Don't be surprised to see that amongst other things end up on my line movement MMA betting sheet. It's a plus angle. Um, and you'd, you don't have to play it because minus 135, despite being favorite odds, is a um, fine point of entry from a point of entry perspective. However, whether it's the prospect of betting chalk money on a guy like Paul Craig um, or just the fact that I just see this fight ending no other way, um, is that uh, it's going to be submission. Gazi Murat Antigulov doesn't have the process or really the power um, to finish things on the feet like he has before, but like, Paul Craig shows he can get rocked and you're going to fall him to the ground, which Gadzi Moroff will do, or he'll take him down. It's like, okay, if he does get the takedown, good on you, but then you're in Paul Craig's guard, who is live from rounds one to round three. Paul Craig also showing improved wrestling of his own with double legs, like on Ankalaev and Krut, albeit um, he spammed that a little too much and didn't play his position safe. Hence him getting tired, giving up the Kimura sweep, and finished. Um, 
And uh, but yeah, he's improving his skills all around. And Gadzimura Ventigulov, yeah, he's got he fought in ACB, which I respect. Uh, the region, yes, he actually is a Russian, not like you know, you know, hailing from another region and it's not as strong or something. Um, yes, he's got the master of sports and wrestling, but they're not all created equal, folks. Antigulov doesn't impress me. He's really bread and butter, vanilla guy. And if he can't get his game going in what's not competitive divisions regionally for the most part, um, he's having trouble, man, against who he's having trouble with. I don't like it. Uh, I think he, he either combusts and gets subbed or he does really well um, until he runs out of gas and then combusts and gets subbed. So all pass lead to submission, and for plus money, I'm going to play it. Uh, let's see. Hopefully I don't eat shit on that one. All right, next fight, Alex Oliveira. Versus Peter Sabota. Sabota. The wire. Uh, Oliveira minus 165. Sabota. Uh, a little bit of money coming in on plus 145. Although it really hasn't moved much from the opener. Um, which I get why, you know. Oliveira more consistent, but you can't trust him because he's Alex Oliveira. I mean, or and Sabota, you know, he, he just doesn't fight that much. And even though he's older, he's not as old as you would think. And even though he's been fighting for a while, he's still showing to learn new tricks and his stand-up's improving. Um, but Alex Oliveira, as I have written down here, he's actually 3-0-1 against UFC Southpaw. Say what you will about that Tim Means fight, as that fight looks less weird as time goes on, right? Because the Tim Means trajectory, and I hate to say it, because y'all know I'm a big team Tim Means fan. But Alex Oliveira has finished... And had some of his best performances against Southpaws, whether it's a technical Southpaw like Tim Means, a flashy Southpaw like Petr Soli, or a nuts and bolts Southpaw with a heavily gra grappling level changing threat like Ryan LaFlair, which is probably more apropos to this matchup, even though Sabota's a better grappler than or better striker than LaFlair. Um, as far as what, you know, striking with a guy where you got to worry about the level changing threat, again, that changes the dynamic for both guys, right? Nevertheless, Cowboy Oliveira's had his best performances. I also wrote here he was 1-0 against female officials. Is that follow me on at DanTomMMA on Twitter? I tweeted out earlier. Uh, I found this last night when I was taped. I couldn't stop laughing about it. Like, he knocks out Ryan LaFlair, and they're like, move of the night. And they're talking about it, and I don't know if the commentators catch it because it's, like, in the background. And you see Cowboy, he's, like, hanging out with Davis, his manager. Like, yes, good job, you won. And then he, like, moves on, and he starts kind of, like, going, pacing. And you see him, like, see a female official behind Alex Davis out of the corner of his eye. And then you see him double take. And without missing a beat, Alex Oliveira just swaggers over, smiles, puts his cowboy. I love it because he actually puts his cowboy hat on. And he starts going into cowboy mode. But, like, he literally puts his hands on this girl, and he starts fucking groping her. Like, literally by her shoulders toward her chest area. Until, thankfully, at this point... Alex Davis, like, spots it out of the corner of his eye and immediately knows who his client is and intervenes and saves that poor lady. <laughs> you heard a rope-a-dope. Like, you know, you, Cowboy Oliveira with his lasso, he's looking a rope and grope, you know? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's not something to joke about, Dan. Sorry. <laughs> I was just like, Jesus, Cowboy, you can't just touch women. Like, the way he goes... He literally treats the woman like she's an object. I'm like, Jesus Christ, cowboy. Oh, my God. All the stereotypes about you are so true, aren't they? Jesus. Like, he has no chill. Like, uh, I just thought of, was it Brody from Mallrats? He's a walking hard on just looking for a hole. <laughs> Talking about Ben Affleck. 
Like that is that is that is Cowboy Oliveira. Who did I compare Cowboy Oliveira to? He looks like uh oh fuck, the Brazilian version of uh Oh, Jesus. It was, uh, yeah, he is like, because like, it's funny, because like, you wouldn't think, <laughs> like when I first saw this guy, I'm like, well, this guy looks like he's kind of a creepy dude. Like, oh, he's a bull rider? I'm like, ooh, wow, this guy's kind of like a creepy dude, right? But then like, you know, because then you see him, he looks like, he looks like the Brazilian version of the bad guy from Greece. <laughs> wow, damn. That was a super relevant reference. <laughs> he's got the pock face everything jesus wow dan you are not being kind to cowboy i'm just saying like you wouldn't expect him but like the dude just does not care he's all about confidence man it's that he shows you it's <laughs> not that i'm saying you should do that folks you should cowboy still needs to learn you know a couple important things in life like consent and uh <laughs> oh, jesus christ all right where where's this breakdown going boy anyways I, i'm gonna take cowboy Oliveira here i guess is what i'm trying to say um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Peter Bata, Sabata upsets him. I'm just able to get the grappling fight that he wants. So I stayed away, and I think most people are. I don't have a I don't have a good angle on this one, folks. Sorry. Chazmachimay um, minus twelve fifty versus Reese McKee plus eight hundred. Yeah, man. Not much to say. You guys know I'm high on Chimaev, just like uh, Armand Saryukian. Doesn't matter the level of competition when it comes to certain guys with a certain wrestling technique and know how to apply it in MMA striking and submission standards. And he does, baby. He does. His striking's not bad either, folks. I said that before, and I think more clips have surfaced as such since as Hazmat has attracted a lot of attention. But yes, you know, John Phillips is not other fighters, but... Reese McKee's not John Phillips either. Um, Reese McKee, uh, root for this guy. Hopefully he gets a, a more well-matched fight. I, I don't disagree that he, him going up to welterweight, he's not outsized for it. But he mainly fights lightweights uh, for the most of his career. And his biggest victories have been over like guys like Richie Smolin, like at featherweight. You know what I'm saying? Like Or who are featherweight, mainly career featherweights. Um, so it's... And whereas... Hazmat is a giant wrestling welterweight who trains with... We just saw Thrash at middleweight and trains with light heavyweight slash heavyweights and Alexander Gustafsson. So, yeah. I wonder if that's why Gus, by the way, is another reason why I'm scared of Gus because he talked about retiring. I wonder if that's why, not just hard losses, but like it's like it's a mix of like getting your hopes up and then losing, obviously. But then it's like, what am I going to do? Go back to the drawing board, go back to camp where I'm getting my ass kicked by a welterweight, some young kid named Hazmat Shemaev that the world doesn't know. Like, what if this guy's just beating Gus's ass? You know, which is why Gus says he's like the most great, uh, hardest training partner he's ever had. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Side note. Either way, um, I think Shemaev rolls here. Minus 420 inside the distance is ridiculous chalk. I don't have an angle for you to play here. Um, but I think he gets it done, and hopefully Reese McKee gets a kinder matchup after this wow next line keeps going down what the fuck am i missing here francisco trinaldo minus 130 jai herbert plus 110 um i actually did somewhat decent research in this fight and yeah i i'm picking trinaldo here i actually played him full disclosure at minus 140 i thought that was more than playable he opened at minus 180 which is fine and fair and even that you could even argue perhaps a little more I don't know if it's just because of age, but like, 
Jai Herbert isn't in his 20s, folks. He is athletic. He's a lot to like, and we'll get to him in a second. But the guy is 33 years old. He didn't come from a wrestling or boxing background. He doesn't even have an athletics background. He only started doing this fighting thing to his own admission seven years ago. You guys know where Francisco Masaranduba was seven years ago? So seven years now you're going to make your UFC debut against Masaranduba Trinaldo? Like, is he getting big hype from the people he's training with? It's a respectable school, Renegade Jiu-Jitsu, as far as English camp goes, but it's not like, oh my God, right? Like, the dude's a blue belt in Jiu-Jitsu, and it's got the regional titles. Um, he got knocked out by Reese McKee. Granted, he, I think that was just like a perfect play shot. He's slipping lazily with his hands down. Things happen, but Reese McKee is not like, he's, you know, He's more of a technique guy. He's admittedly not like a one-shot knockout guy. He even says that himself. And he, he knocked out Jai Herbert cold. But Jai Herbert, who is more... He's got power and can stop you, too. More, He's got more precise and more power than Reese McKee. But he's not some, like, Justin Gaethje power at 155. And even then... Francisco Trinaldo, who's fought as high as middleweight, how many times has he been stopped by strikes? Zero? So this guy's going to come in and stop him? Jai Herbert's got a nice right hand, and right hand is the shot for southpaws, but to me it looks like he really needs his jab to get his rhythm and line up his right hand, like a lot of fighters. But he's one of the fundamental guys, which is a good thing, but he's fundamental in that sense. When you face a southpaw, your jabbing line is muddied. And I went back and watched all the fights I could get a hold of from his knockout loss onward. And you know how many southpaws Jai Herbert face? Zero. Uh, I can't even think of any notable names off the top of my head from Renegade Jiu-Jitsu in his camp, much less southpaws. Even at top-level camps, top-level southpaws are hard to come by at a top-level camp in a non-pandemic era. What kind of southpaw selection is he getting to train with in his camp in a pandemic era? Against a guy who can counter, can out-wrestle him. And Francisco Trinaldo, okay, is it, is it, is it a fade on Trinaldo because he's 41? He is really old. It's a lighter weight class, but has Trinaldo been a guy that's ever really had trouble making weight? No, he's not killing himself with these weight cuts. When he's fighting at middleweight, he just shouldn't have been fighting. The dude's only 5'9". I mean, he's thick built. But it's not like he's killing himself for these cuts. Is he getting rocked in every fight? No, he's not getting rocked a lot at all. Sure, he's not the most high output guy, but he's not just a knockout guy either. Francisco Trinaldo is actually a deceptively good round winner. Whether he's pressuring or countering, he's the guy who lands the big shots. He's the guy who gets the knockdowns. And even though he doesn't secure position as well as he should be for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, which will still put him at a higher accolade level than Herbert, he still lands those high-amplitude takedowns that score heavily with all eras of judging, much less in the era that should be favoring him that we're trending toward now, right? Damage. Significant damage. But even without that argument, you just look at the sheer numbers. And Francisco Trinaldo, even on the low output rounds, which, again, there's nothing wrong with being a guy that can throw seven strikes and win a round. That's fine. Good. 
Good. I'm glad you don't necessarily have to completely wash a guy and throw out your gas tank to win a round. That's actually a good skill to have. But, um... But, yeah, sorry, I kind of lost my track of thought there. But, like, yeah, what am I missing? Like, he's, he's not... He, oh, yeah, like, age and stuff. Like, But if you look at just the numbers, like, his output's not going down. Both his output, thrown, and landed are all trending upwards as the round goes on. In fact, in his last fight, he's out there throwing cartwheel kicks in the third round. Like, he's still never been stopped. He's not getting rocked. He's not slowing down. He's still throwing even crazier stuff. More athletic and agile stuff. He's still doing takedowns. Like, he's going against every trend that an aging fighter typically shows. So, aside from the number on the paper, what, may I ask, are people fading? Again, folks, I'll be the first to admit if I'm wrong like I always am. I have no issue with that. I don't hide or, or you know, cushion any of my or take back my... I'll stand by these words, folks. I'll, I'll eat shit. It's like, what am I missing here? You know, um, I went to both these guys' social medias. It looks like they're roughly getting the same exposure to training. You know? I, I just... I, I don't see it. I really don't see it. He doesn't have the judge's edge. Like a lot of you can accuse, like the... He doesn't have the Askarov edge on the scorecards. You know, he doesn't have any connections there. Like, what's what's going on here? Anyways, I don't be surprised to see this pop up on my... um betting sheet for line movement, but yeah, I, I played that sucker. Straight up. Nicholas Dalby minus 255. Jesse Ronson plus 215. Dalby seemed like a popular parlay piece, and I went to investigate it, and I'm picking Dalby here for his output, but it's dangerous because, you know, it's not like your typical, like the last fight, you know, where, okay, if... Dalby can take the ass kicking up front. He can come back the other two rounds. You guys know I'm all about those guys. I would even argue those are some of my stronger reads. But I don't think, even though I'm essentially picking that angle, Dalby for his pace, I don't think it's that clean or hard of a cut when outlining this matchup as I take a sip of water here. Ronson... Those struggles against wrestlers, Dalby actually not that kind of a wrestler, although he will go for the takedowns, and I do suspect he will, and it will help his efforts, which is why I'm picking him to win. But again, on his side of it, he's not the typical accolade grappler, um, whether it's like the Nathan Schulte with his Diego Sanchez like pace and pressure in judo, or the Kevin Lee's early pace and pressure in wrestling, right? We've seen those things give him problems. Um, but on the Ronson side, you forget this guy comes from a wrestling base. Granted, it only is good enough to keep him scrambling and surviving in those higher level matchups that I just mentioned. But he, he, he does know how to, it's not like he doesn't know how to wrestle, which is the point of me bringing it up. And as I, as I, uh, see here on my profile, uh, list in front of me, he's like amongst top three, as far as most kickboxing accolades on this card. masaranduba has got quite a few. And again, these aren't K1 high level um, you know, they're not fighting stadium, you know, shows in Muay Thai. But I mean, as far as regional kickboxing, regional sec Thai boxing stuff goes, it, it shows me that they're they're putting effort and time there. And that does count for something, right? Um, so, yeah, and Ronson's style. I mean, he, he, he loves to shift forward in combination, southpaw, go into the body. Like, he does a lot of things that I like. And those body shots would be great against Nicholas Dalby. But... 
he's going to have to be more potent at the count, potent off the counter than perhaps he is normally. Um, because that's where Dolby sends out the most problem, where he gets caught the most, getting hurt. And Dolby, surprisingly, opposite record against Southpaws is Alex Oliveira, whom he just beat. He is 0-3-1 against UFC-level Southpaws. That's interesting. However, I believe he was set to face a Southpaw before this. So he's getting another shot at a Southpaw in, what was it, um, Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts? So the fact that he was already preparing for a Southpaw and Ronson coming in at short notice, and even though I think Ronson actually is probably meant to be at welterweight, is career lightweight, I'll take Dolby here. But I'm not as confident as the line says. Good luck if you're playing them. All right. Um, next fight, I'll probably have to add on to my avoid list, although I was interested in it. I wasn't sure what side, but uh, I didn't look into this one. Um, Tom Aspinall, minus 240. Jake Collier, plus 200. I'll take Aspinall because it looks like he's got KO power, natural heavyweight. And uh, I think even though he's only got one heel hook, I think he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. So he's a, he is a mainly a grappler. Whereas Collier... Looks pretty well-rounded, but um, I haven't caught up with him recently. Perhaps it's better that he's fighting at 205, but I always remember him fighting at 80, 85. And um, unless you're an athlete, uh, you're not necessarily going to go from 185 to 205 or 205 to heavyweight and have that athletic edge. It doesn't necessarily play out that way like we like to think it does. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll take Aspinall, but I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't research that fight, folks, so don't, don't take me too, too hard there. Next fight, did look into a bit, Mazvar Evloev minus 200, Mike Grundy plus 170. Um, I was more Scottish than it was Northern England, wasn't it? Um, uh, but anyways, yeah, this is interesting, man. I, I agree with Evloev being favored and I'm picking him, but... I just can't for that price, man. Um, the wrestler versus wrestler matches are weird. Like, for one, are either guys going to shoot? Uh, I think Evloev will because he's a pace fighter. Um, I think Grundy could be a guy who maybe looks to strike more. Maybe he's falling in love with his hands. He does have some power. And he is doing some nice things on the feet, even though he did get rocked twice by Dan Niramani in that fight. But he is doing some nice things, like throwing away the right hand and landing the left hook. Or he's doing his Darren Till impression, but with the, from the opposite side. Looking to get the inside angle on the cross. Counter cross. Um, but I like Evloev's boxing technique better. Evloev consistently moves his head with his punches. Goes to the body much more. Flows. Changes his level. Rolls. Slips. I love it. Um, Evloev's a Greco guy, which I love. And ironically, Greco guys seem to do the best chaining from Randy Couture to Cormier. Like, these guys do really decent chaining, you know. And I say that because, especially, and I'll, again, I'm no pro. I'll, I'll refer to the guys like the Ed Gallows of the world. But, you know, if you want to stereotype as an outsider, a non-wrestler, we look at, okay, a Greco guy, upper body strength, um, competition, not allowed to attack the legs. Um, so, oh, that sounds like they're a more limited wrestler. Not necessarily. Evloev can change levels offensively, defensively in the open against the cage, can chain off singles. Uh, whereas Grundy, of course, can do it. He is a freestyle wrestler. 
Um, except Grundy actually has more, at least listed, who knows what Evola is doing behind the scenes, but Grundy has more grappling accolades from a wrestling standpoint and as well as a submission grappling standpoint. So Grundy could be the slightly better mat wrestler, um, at least within MMA, or a submission grappling standpoint, at least. That being said, even if he's winning this fight, and even if he we we see him win the wrestling, uh, I don't know if he's going to win it long enough to be subbing uh, Evolev, who my guess has a better tank. Grundy hasn't gone the distance that a lot, but between his musculature, his energy that he puts out there, and obviously the overall hardlining record of his sample size, of his record, I should say, um, yeah, he definitely does seem like, I don't know if he's do or die. I don't want to characterize him quite like that, like he's going to implode. But whether it's psychology, gas tank, or a little bit of column A and a little column B, yeah, I, I, I think it's safe to say Evloev, regardless of what you think of him fighting at 145 pounds, is better built to go to the scorecards, is better built to win rounds. Um, and I actually like Evloev fighting at the higher weight because it's healthier. And B, from a stylistic standpoint, um, you know, something Frank Yeager has proved to us back in the day when you have wrestling or Randy Couture again, when you have wrestling, you can be the smaller guy and compete. You got to have that wrestling, though. Um, and Evloev does. He self-admittedly doesn't have the power, which is worrisome. Again, I'm a, I'm a volume guy. I don't hate on guys that don't have power. That being said, it's nice to have that option to win the fight, especially if uh, Grundy is shown he can be wa- rocked. Um, so we'll see if anything happens there. I think Evloev's going to outpace him, but I don't like the number. I think the number is a little too wide. All right, up next, IFL special. He's looking for a short on Fight Island. You better give it to him or watch out and feel the wrath of Tanner Bozier. Minus 270 for Tanner Bozier against Rafael Pessoa. Plus 230. Um, yeah, man. I didn't go back to watch any Pessoa's fights, but I just remember being very unimpressed by Gone. And I'm surprised, win or lose, that he made it to decision um, in his last fight. Not that it's impressive um, to beat or go to the decision against um, Jeff Hughes. No offense, Jeff. By the way, what the, is Jeff Hughes the dude with the Comfort Life tattoo? And what is that? Because when I type it in, like, either anime stuff comes up or some possible Nazi stuff comes up. And... Well, he's a white dude with a shaved head from the middle America. I'm just saying, <laughs> he could be an anime fan. All right, Dan, this is not the place to get to the bottom of that barrel because it'll be disappoint you, uh, as it does with most MMA fighters. <laughs> when you want to look at the lineage of their tattoos. Um, anyways, what the fuck was I on? Yeah, anyways, I'm not impressed. I'm, I'm even less impressed with Peso when I go read his bio, and he has no athletic background, no rank. The kid didn't even play soccer growing up. And uh, you know how long he's been fighting? Not much longer than it's going to be show up on his record because he himself states he got into MMA about four years ago. So that means like a year ago you are fighting fucking Cyril gone. So like with three years of no athletic background, like there you are. That is the heavyweight division, folks. And that is this day in MMA, so... Make of that what you will. I like Tanner Bozier all day. Tanner Bozier, I didn't realize. He's got a karate black belt. I think Kyushkushin. 
Um, which kind of makes sense that, you know, now that he's finding his, uh, you know, Canadian, a lot of good kickboxers, and now he's getting more used to his style, more comfortable. We're seeing him sit down on his punches more. So if he combines that heavyweight power, I know he's a smaller heavyweight, with that in-and-out movement, which makes much more sense now. Yeah, man, I like the deceptively athletic Bozier. Tanner Bozier. Hedgehog haircuts with Tanner. Dan, why do you, This guy, he seems like a really cool guy, and I'm sitting there making fun of his name all the time, um, which sucks. Hopefully, uh, I like you, Tanner. Uh, hopefully, I didn't take that the wrong way. I just, God damn, it's such an IFL name. Everything about him is IFL. Dan, get over it. Uh, I'll take Tanner Bozier here. I was looking at him to parlay with somebody. Because he is one of the only minus 200 peoples that I actually like get behind. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, folks. But there's a parlay piece if you want it, I guess. I think Tanner Bozier rolls. Um, Piani Kianzier, minus 116 versus Besh Cohea, plus 140. Speaking of uh, bios, I always laugh. Like um, I always forget that Besh Cohea has purple belt in Kung Fu in her bio. Um, Betch is probably the live dog here. I didn't look into it. Um, but I'm going to go with Penny Kianzad. I just like her athleticism and boxing process more. Though, I think if Betch tries to bully and play her head games, I actually probably wouldn't do her a disservice from a winning standpoint. Try to get in Kianzad's head because, you know, they say when someone likes to be the bully, don't let them be the bully. So we'll see if that aspect plays out. But off memory... I think the line's about right as um, the boxing process. Uh, for me, we'll go. I'll go Kianzad. But I have no place here. Avoid list. Also on the avoid list, Ramzan Amiv, minus 430. I think he's going to roll here, to be honest, but that's just anything over minus 4 to 1 is stupid in this spot. Nicholas Stolz. Um, I, I can't remember what's on Stolz. I don't think it's anything higher than a blue or purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu if it even has a rank, and it's pretty much just regional titles. But this looks just kind of like a kind of lanky, janky European guy. You can kind of do a little bit of everything. He can change his level and shoot doubles. He's got some decent submissions, but I don't think the wrestling or the submissions are going to be enough to control Ameev, who will probably make this a boring fight, and push Stolos against the cage because that's what Ameev does, and... From the little footage of John Janka and like another another fight that I saw of Stoles, he looks like he likes to circle around that cage anyways and like put himself there, which is gonna do half the battle for Ramzan Amiv. So I know Amiv was a letdown in a recent spot, but I don't see how his experience and style don't allow him to roll here. I'll take Amiv. Um, lastly, wow, so long fight. Uh, Nathaniel Wood minus four thirty. There's John Castaneda, plus 345. This is also on my avoid list, um, mainly for the width of the line. And I think that Castaneda is much more livelier than Stoles, despite them being lined the exact same. Castaneda was a D2 wrestler, and um, he fought deceptive experience, folks, if you go look at his records, including guys who I have a lot of respect for, like Gustavo Lopez. He beat him. And you guys saw, even in the loss, why I, I and many respected Gustavo um, who also is a really good wrestler, submission wrestler, by the way, who's got a chin and is not afraid to scrap. But, um, yeah, Castaneda has got some really good experience. He's super scrappy. Um, he's going to be a better wrestler than Wood. Uh, I think the line is off, but uh, I do like Nathaniel Wood. I like his trajectory as well. Um, I do like him in the spot. I think John Castaneda is also taking this on a bit of short notice, which could be a little bit of it. 
Um, but so is everybody. You know, everyone's got weird camps. Uh, I'll take Nathaniel Wood, but that is also on the avoid list. All right. How did we do? How did we do there? Uh, 150. Not too bad considering all we covered, right? Um, all right. Starting with Bellator taking Sergio Pettis over Ricky Bandejas, taking Jordan Jason Jackson over Jordan Mean, taking Taiwan Claxton over JJ Wilson. Taking Aaron Pico over Solo Hatley Jr. Recapping UFC and the picks and plays there. Taking Robert Whitaker over Darren Till. Boch, Dan, you talked about Till, but you didn't say the fucking Boch. Boch, Boch, your favorite pre fucking secretary. Boch, that was for uh, Aaron Bronstetter. He loves the Boch. <laughs> now, hopefully, all year. Boch, I think he's good. Boch. Um, anyway, taking Robert Whitaker over Darren Till. Taking Shogun Hua over Mar Antonio Jerio Noguera. Little Nog. Taking Alexander Gustafson, not very confidently, over Fabricio Vacaferbalo. Hey, Verdum. Taking Marina Rodriguez over Carla Esparza. Pinchy Fresa. Uh, taking Paul Craig Berchi. It's not exactly the sick boy method. Nothing can outrun a great Scotsman. Over Gazimura Vandigulov. Nobody's pro Gulov. Taking Alex Oliveira over Peter Sabota. Taking Hamza Jimaev over Reese McKee. Taking Francisco Massa Randuba Trinaldo over Jai Herbert. Taking Nicholas Dalby over Jesse Ronson. Taking Tom Aspinall. Over Jake Collier, taking Mazvar Evloev over Mike Grundy, taking Tanner Bowser over Rafael Pistoa, taking Penny Kianzar over Besh Kohea, taking Ramzam Amiv over Nicholas Stoltz, taking Nathaniel Wood over John Castaneda. Um, Tanner Bozier is probably a good parlay piece, although I don't have a parlay to give you. Straight plays, I played Trinaldo at minus 130, now at minus, uh, minus 140, now at minus 130. For, I played him for one unit. Um, I took Craig by sub at plus 170.75 units. That's all for now. I may add to that. Check out linemovement.com for any of those. On my avoid list, Wood Castaneda, Emiv Stolz, Kianzad Kohea. Um, yeah, check out linemovementmma.com for my betting sheet. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, linemovement.com, for the betting show. While you're there, give this video a like if you're listening to it. The YouTube version, of course. Subscribe to my channel, my measly subscriber count. I don't think I'm over 200, folks. How pathetic is that? Daniel, Tom, MMA, the best thing you can do, which is also free aside from giving likes, shares, or, you know, positive comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts, which do help, folks. Thank you. Is sharing sharing tag me tag the podcast i'll give you retweets as, as i can catch them i'm usually pretty good about that i'm not a good self-promoter i don't like doing that but i will help promote you if you are helping share the show i do appreciate that the show is free it always has been free for almost you know four years and running now I'm gonna try to keep it that way uh or i will keep it that way so please anything you can have to support if you do want to support beyond sharing go to mixedmarshallanalyst.com the host website for the podcast the banners for click through if you're an Amazon or on it shopper. It doesn't cost you anything. You just click through the banner, do your shopping. A small percentage goes back to the show. As you can tell from video to audio, 
I have been putting money back into this bad boy. It is going to a good place, especially if you are also kind enough to make a straight up PayPal donation, which thank you guys for that. All right. Um, go check out my in-depths at MMAJunkie.com. You know that's my main home as well as LineMovement.com, MixedMartialAnalyst.com, at DanTomMMA. Good luck on your picks and plays this weekend, and always protect your necks.